Support comes from Empower Missouri, providing in-person and virtual training to become an advocate for Missourians living in poverty. Registration for Empower Missouri's March 27th Advocacy Day is at empowermissouri.org WOA. Last week's veto session at the Missouri Capitol was not supposed to be particularly eventful, but a dust-up around overrides of Governor Mike Parson's line-item budget vetoes exposed tensions within the Senate Republican Caucus. And in the case of GOP Senator Mike Moon, the episode also prompted frustration toward powerful Republican political figures. Now we're saying, because of some tradition, we're not going to pay him back. He needs to be paid. On this edition of Politically Speaking, St. Louis Public Radio's Sarah Kellogg and I explain why this veto session scrapple could have fallout into the 2022 session. And we bring in Republican Senators Bob Onder and Caleb Rowden to get their perspectives on what happened and why it mattered. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. We have to talk about things that matter to people. I've tried to bring that same aggressive iconoclast style with me to uh, the United States Senate. I think my district is a model for the state. We put Missourians first. You just kind of have to find the common ground with people. I believe that this district deserves someone who represents their values. After I came back to St. Louis, I started thinking that I could have a bigger role on the change that I wanted to make. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent Jason Rosenbaum. Joining me from Jefferson City, she is St. Louis Public Radio State House reporter Sarah Kellogg. And we're going to be talking about veto session and particularly what happened in the Missouri Senate. This is a different show than we typically have done on Politically Speaking. We're going to have two guests right after this summation of what happened. Senator Bob Onder of Lake St. Louis will be the first guest, and Senate Majority Leader Caleb Rowden of Columbia will be the second. Sarah, why are we even talking about veto session? Like, I thought this was supposed to be like a sleepy, uneventful 24 hours. From reading your coverage, uh, I was dead wrong on that. (laughs) Well, so was I, (laughs) and so was who I talked to. Uh, Yeah, it was supposed to be, you know, typically, you know, when the majority of the legislature and the governor are the same party, normally it's a quiet veto session. You know, there there aren't really many attempts to override. And we knew going in that there were going to be some House overrides, um, and that did indeed happen. But when I got over to the Senate, pretty much everything changed, and it all was over who has the right to bring up a bill for an override. Now, to, to piggyback on some of your points, the House ended up overriding several of Governor Mike Parson's line-item vetoes. And when they got to the Senate, Senate Appropriations Chairman Dan Hageman, who handled the budget bills in the Senate, did not want to override them for various reasons. And what ended up causing a lot of consternation was what Senator Mike Moon of Lawrence County did. Sarah, what exactly did Senator Moon do? Well, uh, what he did was basically cause the Senate to come to a standstill for several hours. And so, you know, normally it is practice of the bill holder to be the one to bring up an override veto in the Senate. So in this case, like you said, it would have been Senator Dan Hegeman to bring up appropriation related vetoes. But Senator Mike Moon instead made the motion and Lieutenant Governor Mike Kehoe did not recognize him for the motion. And that caused kind of immediate 
you know, kind of disbelief that his motion wouldn't be recognized. And it was cited that Senate tradition is as to why. And so, you know, they there was a point of order called. They called uh, Senate President Pro Tem Dave Schatz to, to issue a ruling on the point of order. Schatz sided with Kehoe. And that just kind of led to an hours long debate over who has the right to bring up a veto override. And actually, we have a clip from Senator Bill Eigel, who spoke after Schatz ruled in favor of Keogh's decision. What should have been a relatively straightforward day with a vote on a couple minor items in a $37 billion budget has now been brought to the brink of moving the chamber to a, a place where a member of the executive branch is able to stifle members of this chamber based on his own personal interpretation of the traditions of this body. But obviously, other senators had a different opinion about what happened, Sarah. What did, for example, Senator Dan Hageman say? Yeah, so there were people who pretty much thought that this is, you know, there's an importance to continue the traditions and the ways that the Senate has has operated. And so, you know, Hegeman, though he did not bring up the bills initially for an override after these hours of debate, Hegeman himself did eventually in a way to kind of circumvent who has the right to bring up a bill because there were at least two bills that senators wanted to bring up overrides for in the Senate. You know, he said he pretty much had never been more disrespected. We have a clip from him talking as well. We have decided to cast aside those traditions, those rules, as we continue to do, like this last session, we just continue to cast aside all these rules and regulations because we want to pursue some other agendas out there and and get before the the spotlights and be seen around the world. Well, I'm not exactly sure that the entire world is watching the Missouri Senate, but as somebody who does, uh, first of all, I've never seen Senator Hageman that upset before. Second of all, I think that the reason I'm interested in this topic is not necessarily about the substance of the line item veto, but how this is really showcasing a a very stark and often personal divide between people who are considered part of the leadership of the Senate and more conservative Republicans like Senator Moon, who have been agitating against leadership on a whole host of other issues. Where do we go from here after this? Is this a preview of what's to come in a legislative session that's going to have a whole host of issues that could split the Republican caucus in the Senate? I mean, that's the question, right? You know, it's something that we'll have to see further down the road. But, you know, as Hegeman, you know, mentioned, he alluded to like, you know, the political spotlight, you know, kind of almost alluding to political game, you know, wanting their time in the spotlight. So it seems like this is a problem that's been persisting. You know, I know I am I'm the new person, but, you know, you can even just, you know, watching my first veto session, you can kind of see that there is this tension here of of the of leadership and those maybe wanting to shake things up a little bit. You know, obviously, I don't know for sure, but you know, I wouldn't rule it out. Well, we're going to get into this and bring you the perspectives of both sides of this fractious debate. Right after this quick intermission, we will hear from Senator Bob Onder, who represents a portion of St. Charles County in the Senate. And then later on the show, you will hear from Senate Majority Leader Caleb Rowden, a Republican from Columbia. We'll be right back. And we're back on Politically Speaking, and joining us is the first of two guests on this show. He is the state senator for Missouri's 2nd District. Bob Onder. And the 2nd District encompasses portions of St. Charles County. So walk me through this, Senator. What was your reaction to Senator Moon's motion about not being recognized uh, for his veto override? 
Well, yeah, Jason, as you know, uh, this issue uh, centered around um, a line item veto that the governor uh, made. Uh, it was specifically $150,000 uh, to right a wrong that our tax collector, the Missouri Department of Revenue, had perpetrated against uh, some small businesses in Missouri. At a time when they're already strapped with COVID, they inappropriately reinterpreted, reinterpreted the tax law uh, to, uh, to penalize these businesses. And uh, Representative Jim Murphy in the House uh, made a motion to override the governor on this particular line item veto, and it passed the House by a vote of 150 to two. Um, and it came over to the Senate and uh, Senator Mike Moon wanted to make the motion to bring forward that override and to restore this money to these uh, deserving taxpayers. Um, well, when uh, Senator Mike Moon made that motion, um, the presiding officer, Lieutenant Governor Mike Keogh, refused to recognize um, Senator Moon. And when Senator Moon asked why, um, the, the Lieutenant Governor said, tradition of the Senate. Now, um, I have the greatest respect for traditions of the Senate, but the traditions of the Senate do not override the Missouri Constitution, and they do not override the rules of the Missouri Senate. And furthermore, um, then the Lieutenant Governor doesn't have that kind of uh, power in the, uh, in the Missouri Supreme Court case involving Lieutenant Governor Bill Phelps. It's very clear that the Lieutenant Governor can preside whenever he wants to, but he has to follow the rules of the Senate. I don't think, um, I don't think Mike Keogh did that when he refused to recognize Senator Moon. And has this tradition of the idea of the handler of the bill having the power to overturn it, you know, has this been a contested issue before? You know, why has this not been up, you know, been brought up until now? Well, I think I think for some reason there was this uh, narrative when, that, uh, well, we're just not. I mean, in the past, override votes have been discussed, debated and taken. Of course, uh, Governor Nixon was was overridden many times, but there was this. Um, this narrative that, oh, we do not want to override a Republican governor. Well, um, you know, no one's perfect. We don't have a king. We don't have a monarch. We don't have a, a caliph. We have a governor. And more importantly, we have a system of checks and balances. I think it's utterly absurd that we're pulling out of our hat this, this narrative about a tradition of the Senate to, first of all, deprive the the, the citizens of the state of the representation that that uh, the, the 170,000 people who um, who are represented by Senator Moon and the 210,000 people who are represented by me in Western St. Charles County to deprive us of a voice in the budget process. So I think that's um, I think that's wrong. I think it's a violation of our separation of powers. And if somehow this is some unwritten rule or tradition, I think it needs to change now or change next session. There was another narrative that was being put forth by some of your colleagues that didn't like what you were doing and that you were you and Senator Moon and Senator Bratton were only doing this to bring attention to yourselves for your further political aspirations. For context, Senator Moon is running for Congress. Senator Bratton may run yes. for Congress. And you the last time you were on the show, you mentioned that you have not ruled out running for something in the future. 
Uh, what do you make of that? Because that was a pretty startling accusation to throw at all of you. Well, I asked uh, I asked Senator Rowden to give specific details because there is it's been rumored and and certainly uh, Senator Rowden has given many hints that he might represent uh, run for the fourth congressional district seat um, represent uh, you know represented now by uh, by Vicky Hartzler. So I, I wanted to know specifically was there was there a particular race in a particular center he was referring to. And of course, he kind of squirmed out of that one. So um, because right now I am uh, more than happy, I was more than happy to say uh, that I have no plans to run for Congress in 2022. And if, um, you know, Senator Rowden wanted to engage in that discussion, which apparently he didn't, I was going to invite him to pledge not to run for Congress in 2022. Um, but I don't think he wanted to go there. So he, uh, he could dish it out, but he couldn't take it uh, when, I, uh, when I questioned him what he meant. Uh, by the way, it took him about five or 10 minutes to get back to the floor when I inquired of him. Um, he, uh, you know, he, he didn't want to talk about specifics, but no, Jason, look, I'm, I'm always, uh, I, I will always look for opportunities to, to, you know, to serve the people of, uh, uh, of the state of Missouri, uh, in whatever way, uh, in whatever way God calls me to do. Um, I don't think that means a congressional run in 2022, but believe me, um, Senator Rowden knows better than anyone that I am willing to speak out and buck leadership uh, when I need to, when I think they're doing the wrong thing. Ultimately, th this ended up with Senator Hageman bringing up the bills for veto override consideration, even though he wasn't for it. Um, is this something you right. would like to see changed? Is there a plan to introduce new rules to modify how the veto session goes? Or does no. It not, not really matter in this case because like yeah. it, it didn't wasn't successful like senator yeah. higgeman brought it up and it, the overrides failed so it doesn't really seem yeah. like it would have mattered either way basically yeah well the votes on those things uh, jason were on those those uh, line items were very surprising so uh what happened in both cases is that every democrat and uh, the members of the conservative caucus sided with the taxpayers over the tax collectors, the Department of Revenue. We sided with kids over child sex offenders. And, um, you know, in, and in both cases, um, a, 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 a majority of the Republican caucus, um, they preferred to not override the governor and they sided with the tax collector over small businessmen they decided with the child sex offenders over the kids i was really surprised and appalled by those votes but whether we need to change the rules i don't think we do um i think this uh, this this so-called tradition that um lieutenant governor keogh was citing and that Senator Rowden was talking about in his little dissertation at the end of the session. Uh, 
it's found nowhere in our rule book. It's specifically contradicted by the Missouri Constitution, Article 3, Section 32. And I don't think we need a change in the rules, um, but I do think we need to apply the existing rules fairly, which, uh, which unfortunately Senate leadership didn't uh, seem to want to do uh, last Wednesday. Now, Sarah can correct me if I'm wrong, but the reason why people voted against uh, the the Lincoln County situation is it was said that there's going to be federal money that will pay to combat, uh, uh, you know, sex offenders there. Uh, Sarah, am I right on that? I want to make sure I'm getting the context right on that. It was mentioned there was kind of a grant option. Now, the House, when the House overrode it, they said, you know, the grants will not work. And that wasn't, you know, uh, Senator Riddle had the opposite view and and was for the grants. So but but that seems like when you say like your colleagues were were siding with sex offenders, it doesn't really seem like it says the whole story. It seems like there's going to be money eventually to to fight that problem in Lincoln County. What would you say to that? Yeah. Oh, well, well, Jason, I, I heard that argument um, that uh, Senator Riddle and Senator Hageman seem to buy into. I would just point out that that is utter nonsense. Yes, there's a grant. I believe it's $2.2 million. But all 114 counties in the state of Missouri are eligible for it. And it's my understanding already a dozen have, uh, have, uh, have applied for it. So uh, Lincoln County would just be one of 114 counties applying for that limited sum of money. And it has to go through the whole federal grant application process, which could take, I don't know, months, I don't know, maybe years. Whereas if we had, if we had done the right thing and overridden that veto last Wednesday, I believe the treasurer of the state of Missouri could have written that check to the Lincoln County Task Force the next morning. So the idea that somehow you go through this complicated federal grant application process and the prosecutors fighting child sex offense cases would get the money faster, that's just, it's just absurd, it's wrong. Um, but that, that narrative was made up uh, to justify this vote, which ultimately seemed to be just about not wanting to overrule a Republican governor on a line item veto. Will some of these, you know, these issues that were discussed, these tensions, will they kind of be carried over into the regular session? Is there going to be kind of a financial priority to make sure what didn't get override to be in next year's budget? Well, I think, Sarah, that it, those those things should be in next year's budget. Um I hope that the uh, the uh, you know the child uh, sex offense task forces do find a way to get uh, get uh, funded between now and then. But yeah, I think it would be definitely definitely should be a priority uh, in uh, next year's budget. Um, but as far as uh, will these tensions carry over, um, what we are being asked to um, to uh, swallow in the Missouri Senate is that one third of senators are on the Senate Appropriations Committee, two thirds of senators are not. We're, at, we're being told that number one, there should be no floor amendments to, to budgets in the Missouri Senate at all. There are lots of floor amendments to the budget in the House. We're also being asked to say that when a particular line item that a senator cares about um, is, is, is vetoed, that that senator should have no power 
to override that veto. Essentially, two thirds of senators and by extension, two thirds of the citizens of the state of Missouri have no influence over the budget in the Missouri Senate. That is absolutely wrong. And if that is what is that is what the appropriations chair and leadership are asking, let's face it, it gives them more power. So they like that a lot. Um, by all means, there are going to be a lot of budget tensions in the coming session. But I think the principle of separation of powers, our, the clear language of our constitution would dictate that we need to change this, whether it's a tradition or an unwritten rule, um, that's nonsense. It disenfranchises citizens in two thirds of uh, the state of Missouri, and I think it's absolutely wrong. Well, Senator, thank you so much for joining us and providing your perspective. Right after this break, we will hear from Senate Majority Leader Caleb Rowden to get his take on the Senate situation. We'll be right back. And we're back on Politically Speaking and joining us he is the Senate Majority Leader. He's joining us from beautiful Boone County, Missouri. It's Caleb Rowden. Thank you, Senator, for, for joining us and providing your perspective on what both Sarah and I found to be a, a pretty revealing episode in the, in the annals of the Missouri Senate. When you talked with Sarah right before the veto session, you more or less said that you were anticipating a quiet session and it was not a quiet veto session. What are your overall thoughts about the whole situation with you and several of your Republican colleagues a week after the fact? Yeah, you know, I, I think um, I think people try to make more of these things maybe sometimes and there really is. Um, you know, I think that the one thing you have to keep in mind is when you when we're not in session for three or four months and then we know we're not going to be in session for another couple months. You know, I, I, I described it um, after the fact to someone else as, you know, everybody's got to get their uh, they've got to fit their their six months of, of headlines into one day. Right. And so, um, you, you know, there's a little bit of that. Um, you know, I think it was a legitimate that the. the the um, conversation I had with Senator Moon on the floor and the conversation that I had had with um, with Senator Bratton, who, you know, had, had a desire to, to make the motion on one of the other uh, lines. It wasn't that I didn't support, you know, actually either one of them. It was it was kind of just the bigger picture conversation of 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 uh, how we treat others in the Senate and particularly folks in our own party as it relates to taking over their bills or, or taking their motions from them. Um, and, you know, that, that, that's a, that's not a fun conversation to have because it, 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 you, 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 you may get painted as the bad guy in the public. Uh, it's not a, you're, you're, you're doing the right thing. Cause in my view, I was doing the right thing. Cause it's the right thing, not because I'm making any friends doing it. Um, and so, you know, it is what it is. Um, I, I, I don't, dislike or hold any ill will against any of those guys. I, I, I just think we got stuck in a weird moment and all the, all the eyes and ears were, were, were tuned our way. And so it, it became a little bigger thing. And kind of what in general was your, maybe your initial reaction, your later reaction to Senator Moon making that motion to override that line of veto? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, the, the conversation I had with him, the conversation I had with Senator Ronder on the floor really kind of captured what we 
what, what I viewed to be the, the reality of the moment that we were in, in that, you know, they, they, they would claim that because there is no guidance as it relates to someone else being able to make the motion um, uh, in, in place of the bill handler, which is something, again, that has never happened in the history of the Senate, um, in the absence of any sort of guidance that, that um, you know, that they should be able to do it. Well, I would contend that in the absence of guidance, uh, you know, the, the, the traditions and, and things that we've adhered to for the better part of a century uh, take precedent. And, you know, to take that a step further, if there is any ambiguity um, uh, in, in moments like that, the, the president pro tem has the final say, right? Because he's the, he's the guy that gets to rule on points of order. And so, um, you know, that, that point of order happened and, and, uh, and he, he made, made it clear where he was at. So, I mean, I think the notion that Lieutenant Governor Kehoe was, was, you know, out of bounds or doing some, you know, going way out of his way to, to grab any sort of power or anything like that is foolish because Senator Schatz had the final stay uh, and, and uh, you know, agreed with the position of Senator Ke or Lieutenant Governor Kehoe. So, um, you know, again, I, I, I think it's, we always have those moments. Um, it just happened to be um, in, in, you know, kind of a one day sort of uh, deal that, that probably makes it a little bigger deal than it would have been otherwise. And in a similar way, kind of what is lost when these procedures and these rules kind of aren't followed? Because, you know, the reaction was one of maybe disbelief that Keogh didn't recognize, you know, Senator Moon's motion you're kind of what are what is lost when those procedures those traditions yeah well I'll, I'll make two points and and there there were two kind of separate moments of consternation the the, the first point and and you know I, I will take me and and Dave and I will take Senator Schatz and I will take the blame for um you know there, there were two kind of ways that you could go about it Lieutenant Governor Keogh could have done what he did uh, and just say you're not recognized or he also could have restated the motion and then there could have been a point of order um, and, and you could have gone about that. So, um, you know, they had two separate issues, one of which was the way that, that it came to be known that it wasn't uh, acceptable for Senator DeMoon to make that motion. Um, but, you know, to, to, to answer the question, you, the, the only, there are a ton of, and we learn them when we get elected to the Senate and, you know, you have former senators it, for, in my case, it was Peter Kinder and, uh, Jim Matheson and and uh, uh, Victor Callahan and somebody else I can't remember who else who come in and kind of talk to you about unwritten rules and there is a ton of unwritten rules in the Senate that you know uh, a lot of them are are known and then some of them are not this one is one that's pretty well known um, so you you have to you have to protect those I, I do think everybody everybody uses the moniker that you don't want to turn into the house but they always use it when it's advantageous to, to their kind of position. And so in this case, it is a situation where, um, you know, it, it is a distinction between the house and there's nothing wrong with the house. We're just different. And so I think we need to protect those differences and we, we need to protect what makes the Senate what it is. So what do you think is the reasoning to keep some of these processes intact? From Senator Moon's perspective, he was trying to like write a very specific wrong that had occurred uh, to people that he'd been talking with involving, I guess, wedding venues and tax collections. For, for people that are affected by this particular issue, they may see this discussion about Senate traditions and be like, well, that's great, but I want this issue resolved and this is standing in the way of it being resolved. 
Well, there's a lot of stuff that I want that I don't get from from time to time, and and I'm one of the more powerful people in the Senate, according to some. So, you know, I think I, to, just to say that if I don't get my way, I'm I'm going to run over Senate tradition. I think that's that that's not good uh, for for one. Secondly, I think you have to look look at these things in context. And in the case of Senator Moon. Uh, and his issue, one of which I'm incredibly sympathetic to, and one that I, I, I definitely agree with, um, you know, the, the, his concern on how it happened to these businesses originally in DOR kind of stepping outside of their lane. Um, but part of the dollar amount that was being asked for in that 150000 was related to attorney's fees. And you can't pay attorney's fees out of the statute. You have to pay it out of the legal offense fund. And so I think you always have to look at things in context of being honest about how to functionally get something done. I think the the, the concern uh, or, or the, the, the mistake that some folks in the Missouri Senate make um, is, is trying to take shortcuts to get things done faster when you can actually just go and have conversations and, and build those relationships, whether it be with the governor in this case, not getting that thing vetoed or you know finding the, the appropriate way to get it done and actually getting it done. And so I think that's, that's always... Uh, there, there aren't a lot of shortcuts in the Senate um, because of our rules and because of our, our kind of the way we've always done things. And so my advice to anybody is um, don't don't blow up the Senate because you didn't get your way. Figure out a way to build relationships so that you can actually functionally get um, done what you want to get done. So there was a question about whether there was any precedent of the lieutenant governor not calling on somebody. And it brought to mind an episode in 2004, which I was not around for, I just read about it in the Columbia Tribune archives, where a lot of Republicans were standing to be recognized because Democrats were filibustering something. And then Democratic Lieutenant Governor Joe Maxwell just didn't really acknowledge them and allowed the filibuster to happen and for the filibuster to succeed. And I think that that led to some rule changes, especially dealing with the previous question, if I'm not mistaken. Do you anticipate there being some sort of rule changes about this, admittingly very specific scenario, but one that would kind of clear up ambiguity in the future veto session? Yeah, there could, yeah, there could be. I mean, I, I, I'd say a couple of things. One, uh, Lieutenant Governor Kehoe did not not call on Senator Moon, right? So, I mean, I think there's two separate, uh, there's kind of two layers to any sort of inquiry. In, inquiry. There is the um, the acknowledgement that, that the person is seeking recognition, which he clearly did and would always do for anybody. Um, but then the secondary one is to make sure that the motion that he makes is in order. And from our perspective, it wasn't in order. It's, it's not dissimilar to, um, to uh, someone making a trying to inquire of someone as a previous question motion has been made or something like that. You know, there are there are moments where people make motions that they are not recognized for. And so you know, to, to answer your question, yeah, yeah, could we make, uh, maybe make some changes in the rules to further clarify what is acceptable and what is not in veto session? Maybe, uh, but I would contend, you know, treating veto session any differently than regular session probably it doesn't make good sense. Uh, the, the, the example that I used was the 100 or so line item vetoes that Jay Nixon did in the 2016 or 2015 budget. Um, and the, the idea that the notion that the minority party could could make a motion on a hundred line item vetoes um, is insanity. I, I don't I don't think that actually is functionally it works, you know. Uh, and so again, you have to see these things not in 
what do I want the world to look like in this particular moment? But, but what am I asking of the, the Missouri Senate and how it affects not just now, but, but well into the future. And so uh, again, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not sure anything needs to be changed. Um, I, I think people know now uh, kind of what the expectation is during veto session. Admittedly, there is some ambiguity and some lack of clarity as to what's acceptable during veto. But I think now, at least for the next year, Senator Schatz has made it clear that, you know, if you're the bill handler or the bill sponsor, you're the one that gets to make the motion. And, you know, you said earlier kind of this seemed maybe this was overblown. A lot of people kind of wanted to get their headlines in one day. Do you see any of this tension that happened carrying over to the general session? Uh, yeah, I mean, maybe, um, you know, anything's possible. I, I don't I think the, the biggest, at least from my perspective, I, I can't speak for anybody else. And, and you know, there may be people on any, any given day don't like me personally, but um you know, I, I don't have anything personal against any of these guys. You know, I know the, the, the notion of the, the conservative caucus and the other folks and in, in the Republican caucus and then, you know, kind of the tension that exists there. You know, we still agree on a bunch of stuff. We still agree on 80 percent of the stuff. We still want the, the state to have lower taxes. We still want, you know, people's Second Amendment protect, to be protected. We still want the state to be the most pro-life state in the country. Um you know, all those things are pretty clear cut. And so what, what I have always tried to do, and, and admittedly, I'm not always successful, but I've tried to keep, you know, the, the, the personal sort of whatever animosity exists that, that between our, our kind of factions, um, that can't be a part of why we do what we do in the Missouri Senate. Uh, and so to the greatest extent possible, I'm going to try to make sure that it's not, at least on my side. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know how, how mad people were, uh, you know, on the other side as we exited last week. So we'll, we'll see. If it's not that problem, there will be, you know, 15 others in January. It's just kind of the way it is. Well, when I was listening from afar in St. Louis, one of the most striking things that I heard you say, and I'm paraphrasing it here, is that you accuse some people of making a big deal out of this particular override to gain attention for other political offices that they're running for. In in the case of Senator Moon, he's running for Congress. Senator Bratton is thinking of running for Congress. Um, Senator Onder has said he wants to run for something else. But you yourself are considered a serious contender to run for the 4th District seat. Couldn't somebody credibly accuse you from now on of using your power as majority leader to you know, further your own political ambition since you opened the door to that yourself? Well, I'll say a couple of things. One, uh, I, I don't, there, people are always going to use a platform that they have. Uh, I think the way in which some folks went about um, the, the theatrics last Wednesday um, the, with the, in some cases, the yelling and screaming aimed at the Lieutenant Governor, uh, you know, who is not even a part of our body, um, I, I think that was just out of bounds. I think that was foolish. Uh, and, and I think it was, uh, I think there was another motive there. You know, for me, if, if I'm going to run for Congress, um, you know, I'm going to do my, do, do my very best to make sure that the person who I am now is the person who, uh, you know, is running for Congress and the person who gets elected, uh, you know, to be in Congress. I think this idea that we have to fundamentally change who we are when we decide to run for another office uh, or that we have to be louder or more more boisterous than than we would be otherwise. Um, uh, you know, I, maybe maybe it 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 um, resonates in a bubble somewhere, but I I do think a vast majority of folks around the the state um, 
you know, these one good, honest, hardworking people and, and, you know, maybe flashy isn't, isn't quite so good these days. Um, so, um, you know, I'm sure I'll get accused of any number of things if I decide to run and that's fine. Um, and we're big boys and we can handle it, but, um, I'm, I'm going to make sure that, that whatever office, if I decide to run for something else, whatever office I seek next, doesn't, doesn't keep me from, or doesn't force me to be who I'm not, doesn't force me to, um, you know, just, just light a match to Senate tradition because I'm not in Congress. I'm a Senator right now. And so it's important for me uh, to make sure that, um, that Senate tradition is, is respected and that we leave the place just as good as we found it, if, if that's at all possible. Well, Senator, thank you very much for your time, and we'll be following what happens in the Missouri Senate with great interest. That's it for this edition of Politically Speaking. I want to thank both Senators Onder and Rowden for joining us. Politically Speaking is a product of St. Louis Public Radio, which is part of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. You can follow all of our stories at stlpr.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. And how can people follow you on Twitter, Sarah, or any other parts of the World Wide Web? Uh, you can mostly find me online on Twitter, which is at Sarah K. Kellogg. We'll be back next time. Until then, so long. So long.